Nancy DeMoss Walkamuth has a suggestion for new parents. It's this. Ask God to give you a vision for the time you have with your children. That will help you to be intentional as you're parenting and to realize that the patterns established in their childhood, the seeds sown in their childhood, will bear fruit in their adulthood. This is the Revive Our Hearts podcast with Nancy DeMoss Walkamuth, author of Incomparable. For February 20th, 2024, I'm Dana Gresh. During these weeks leading up to the Passion Week of Christ and the celebration of the resurrection on Easter Sunday, some would call this period Lent, uh, we're taking this season to focus on Christ, to behold Him, to consider Him, and to look at different aspects of who He is, who He was, why He came to this earth, what He did on this earth. Throughout this series, we're using Nancy's newest book, A Devotional Called Incomparable, as a track to run on. Some of you are following along in that book. If you are, we're going to be looking at chapter four today on the childhood of Christ. The childhood of Christ. Now, apart from one incident at the age of 12, which we'll look at tomorrow, there is almost nothing recorded in Scripture about Christ between his birth and the age of about 30 when he began his public ministry. So in light of that silence, it's not surprising that some people over the years would have tried to speculate about what took place during those years. For example, as early as the second century AD, people were writing books about this, some of them known as the apocryphal gospels. One called the Infancy Gospel of Thomas is very fanciful, speculative about some of the things that this author thought Jesus might have been doing during his childhood. Now, I will tell you there is almost no correlation to fact. These are almost entirely fiction. They are not the inspired word of God. But let me read to you just some excerpts out of this infancy gospel of Thomas uh, written about the second century AD. This little child Jesus, when he was five years old, was playing at the ford of a brook. And he gathered together the waters that flowed there into pools and made them straightway clean and commanded them by his word alone. And having made soft clay, he fashioned thereof 12 sparrows. And it was the Sabbath when he did these things. And there were also many other little children playing with him. And a certain Jew, when he saw what Jesus did playing upon the Sabbath day, departed straightway and told his father, Joseph, lo, thy child is at the brook and he hath taken clay and fashioned 12 little birds and hath polluted the Sabbath day. And Joseph came to the place and saw, and cried out to him, saying, Wherefore doest thou these things on the Sabbath, which it is not lawful to do? But Jesus clapped his hands together and cried out to the sparrows and said to them, Go. And the sparrows took their flight and went away chirping. And when the Jews saw it, they were amazed and departed and told their chief men that which they had seen Jesus do. Now the people who wrote these claimed that they were true. We know that they are not. Let me read a little bit more. But the son of Annas, the scribe, was standing there with Joseph, and he took a branch of a willow and dispersed the waters which Jesus had gathered together. And when Jesus saw what was done, he was wroth and said unto him, O evil, ungodly, and foolish one, what hurt did the pools and the waters do thee? Behold, now also thou shalt be withered like a tree, and shalt not bear leaves, neither root nor fruit." And straightway that lad withered up wholly, but Jesus departed and went unto Joseph's house. But the parents of him that was withered took him up, bewailing his youth, and brought him to Joseph and accused him, for that thou hast such a child which doest such deeds. 
After that, again, he went through the village, and a child ran and dashed against his shoulder. And Jesus was provoked and said unto him, Thou shalt not finish thy course. And immediately he fell down and died. But certain, when they saw what was done, said, Whence was this young child born? For that every word of his is an accomplished work. And the parents of him that was dead came unto Joseph and blamed him, saying, Thou that hast such a child canst not dwell with us in the village. Or do thou teach him to bless and not to curse? For he slayeth our children. After a few days, a certain young man was cleaving wood in the neighborhood, and the axe fell and cut in sunder the sole of his foot, and losing much blood, he was at the point to die. And when there was a tumult and concourse, the young child, Jesus, also ran thither and by force passed through the multitude and took hold upon the foot of the young man that was smitten, and straightway it was healed. And he said unto the young man, Arise now and cleave the wood and remember me. But when the multitude saw what was done, they worshipped the young child, saying, Verily the Spirit of God dwelleth in this child. And just one more here. There are lots of them. There are ones about him going to school and how he criticizes the teachers when they make mistakes because he knows everything. Uh, Here's just one more. Again, in the time of sowing, the young child went forth with his father to sow wheat in their land. And as his father sowed, the young child Jesus sowed also one corn of wheat. And he reaped it and threshed it and made thereof an hundred measures. And he called all the poor of the village unto the threshing floor and gave them the wheat. And Joseph took the residue of the wheat. And he was eight years old when he wrought this sign. Well, that's the infancy gospel of Thomas. And as I said, it is entirely fictitious. Uh, We have the word of God that tells us uh, what we need to know about Christ. And there is very little in scripture about the childhood of Christ, almost nothing. Which, by the way, is interesting in light of this very child-centered world that we live in, where everything revolves around children. And they think the world revolves around them as children. Some parents think the world revolves around their children. And not to say that children are not important. They are. Jesus loved the children. But I think it's just instructive that the scripture tells us so little about these years. They were years of obscurity. Not that Jesus didn't have family and friends that he was known to, but he, he wasn't out doing spectacular things. First of all, remember when he came to this earth, he restricted the use of those attributes of God. He put on our humanity, and it was important that he grow up and develop as a child the way human beings have to. So let's take a look based on the scripture, not based on some fictitious report, What do we know about Christ during this very silent period? First of all, we know that he had a childhood. Now you say, what's the big deal about that? Well, that is a major contrast, which would not have been lost on the Greeks of the first century. It's a major contrast to the Greek gods who were said to have come to earth fully grown and well-armed. Jesus did not come down to earth as a mature adult, but as a tiny, weak, helpless, newborn baby. How dependent, how tiny, how weak, and thinking that's what Jesus became. When he took on flesh, he didn't arrive like these Greek gods just ready to hit the world and take over the world. He came into the world the same way we come into the world weak and tiny and helpless and dependent. He was a child. 
Again, when you compare him to these Greek gods, so-called, he is the incomparable Christ. There is no one like him, no other religious leader like him. In this pluralistic world where people try to tell us, yes, he's just one of many, every god is kind of equal, is on the same footing, don't believe it. It's not true. Jesus is the one and only incomparable Christ. And we see it in this little detail of the fact that he was born as a baby and had a childhood. We also know from the scripture that Jesus was born into a home with, here on this earth, with devout, godly parents, uh, Mary, his mother, and Joseph, his earthly father. We know that his parents were faithful worshipers and that they were committed to raise Jesus according to the commands of scripture. Luke chapter 2 tells us that when Jesus was born, they performed everything according to the law of the Lord. All the rituals, all the uh, going to the temple, the offering of a sacrifice, they, they did everything according to God's commandments. And then we read in Luke 2 verse 41 that his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. That's not just because they like going to Jerusalem or they like celebrating the Passover. I assume they did. But that's because God had commanded observing Jews to do that very thing. So Jesus had parents here on earth who were obedient to the law of God. He grew up in that kind of home. And yet, his childhood was not trouble-free. He was not spared just because he was God. He was not spared adversity or challenges of living life in a fallen world. Think about some of those things. Uh, For example, his mother had an unexpected pregnancy, to say the least, that was surrounded by rumors and misunderstanding. And there's no reason to believe that uh, when Jesus was born, that all of a sudden everybody believed that this was the virgin-born son of God. I'm sure there were people who still considered Mary defiled, an outcast. And so Jesus grew up in a home where his mother was surrounded by suspicion and rumors and misunderstanding. His mother had been forced to give birth 75 miles away from home, walking distance, in an inhospitable environment, not a birthing center in a modern hospital, but in a cow shed. So from the start, his life had challenges. Uh, He was born into an era where there was a repressive, totalitarian Roman government. Not an easy time to be alive. While he was still a toddler or younger, his life was threatened by a jealous king. And so his parents had to flee to Egypt. They were already away from home, and then they had to flee to Egypt 300 miles away and stay there for a period of maybe up to a couple of years until the threat had passed. And then they moved back to Nazareth. Now, we think highly of Nazareth, but in those days, Nazareth was kind of a byword. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? I mean, it was kind of a, not the place you'd want to be from. It wasn't a popular city. It was a commercial area. It was small. It was despised. It was not any great place to be from. Jesus was born into a poor family. We know that because of the kind of sacrifices that his parents brought to the temple when he was born. So he wasn't born into wealth and pomp and circumstance. He was not born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Now, he made all the silver in the world. He was the creator of the world. But when he came to this world, he came into a lowly place. Just to be born as a human would have been lowly enough. But the scripture says, though he was rich... Yet for our sakes, he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. 
So he was born into a poor family. That means they had the challenges of, you know, having to make ends meet. I mean, just think about what it's like being poor today, living in poverty, scraping to have enough to feed the family. And speaking of family, he was born into what became a large family. By our standards, for sure, in Mark chapter 6, verse 3, four brothers of Jesus are named and at least two sisters who were born to Joseph and Mary after the birth of Jesus. So we see him as the firstborn of then these half-brothers and sisters, at least seven kids in that family, poor family, and they didn't have these, you know, big eight-bedroom homes for families with six kids. I mean, we're talking small homes, large family, poor family. He grew up in that. And it helps us, I think, to picture something in his childhood. We think of him as the king and the and that he is and the Lord of the universe, and that he is, and the Lord of hosts, and that he is. But he also came and was born into and grew up in as a child these simple, obscure, poor circumstances. There's one verse in the scripture, Luke chapter 2, verse 40, that sums up Jesus' childhood years. And I want to take a look at that verse for the next few moments. Luke 2, verse 40 says, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor or the grace of God was upon him. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor or the grace of God was upon him. And that verse, with the exception of the incident we'll look at in tomorrow's session, is really all we're told about Jesus growing up as a child. The scripture says the child grew. Don't skip too quickly over that. Because that's part of what it meant for Jesus to become a man, to take on a human nature. It's part of the humiliation of the incarnation. He didn't just take on a human body, but he took to himself the complete human nature, including a human soul with mind, will, and emotions, reasoning capabilities, etc. He had to go through the same developmental stages In every realm, physically, emotionally, mentally, psychologically, he had to go through those same natural developmental stages that we all have to go through. You talk about little children, you know, they're concrete thinkers, and then they learn to think more abstract. They're developmental stages. Jesus went through those stages as a human child, physically, intellectually, socially, psychologically. And he had to do that in order to be able to fully, truly represent us as our Savior. And I should think about the growth of the Lord Jesus as a child. Uh, let me just make several observations. First of all, it was balanced growth. Growth in all areas, all realms, mind, soul, spirit, body, in all areas. You, just, you see some kids today who are super kids in certain areas. You'll have some kids who are like amazing athletes. They can do anything athletic, but, you know, they can't read or write. Uh, So they're amazing in some area, but not in every area. And then you have these kids who are brainiacs, and they can do all this, you know, they speak five languages and whatever, but they're klutzy or they're uncoordinated or they're socially inept. Now, I'm not talking about your kid, okay? But, um, or then you have some kids who have great social skills. I mean, they're just highly relational, but, you know, they are kind of weak in other areas and maybe oblivious to what's going on around them. They're just people-oriented. Well, Jesus showed the importance of growth in every area. As a whole person, integrated body, soul, and spirit, that's the way we're supposed to grow. And that's the way we would have grown had it not been for the fall. 
So he came here to live our life, but to model to us what true humanity was intended to be. Integrated growth, physical growth, rational intellectual growth. Now that's hard to understand how Jesus could have had to grow intellectually. As God, he was omniscient. He knew everything. But as man, he had to grow in knowledge. He had to go to school. And unlike the infancy gospel of Thomas, which talks about him going and yelling at teachers because they got something wrong, Jesus had to go and learn his alphabet, learn how to put the letters together, learn how to read and write. He had to grow intellectually in knowledge. That's a mystery, but it's true. He grew morally. Verse 52 of Luke tells us that he increased or advanced or grew in favor with God and man. There's, even though he was God, there's some sense in which he had to grow in his moral capability, his moral functions. Not that he ever sinned, he didn't, but he had to grow into making wise, godly choices. Balanced growth in every area. That's the way it should be with us. His growth was gradual. There were no shortcuts. He didn't skip any grades that we know of. He didn't skip any stages of life. He didn't go from being two to being 12. He went through those stages in a gradual period of growth. And it took him 12 years to get to 12 years of age. You say, well, duh. But I think it's important to realize that when he took on our humanity, he took on our humanity. He had to grow gradually the way that we do. There's a patience there. There's no hurry suggested, like hurry up so I can get to 30 and start my life work. No, there's going through the stages to get there, the process of growth. It doesn't happen overnight for us. It doesn't happen overnight for your children. And it didn't happen overnight for Jesus. It required time and training in a family with disciplines. He gained knowledge the same way we do, by observing, asking questions, being taught. Doesn't all this show the humility of Christ, the incomparable Christ, that he would be reduced to this without sacrificing any of his godness. There was gradual growth as a man, balanced growth, gradual growth, and then it was fruitful and purposeful growth. It was growth with an objective, heading somewhere. There was an outcome, and the outcome was maturity. Now, that's supposed to be the outcome of all growth, but sadly, for a lot of people today, they may grow up physically, but they don't grow up intellectually or morally or psychologically or relationally, they get stunted in their growth. Jesus didn't get stunted. He moved toward that point of maturity, physical maturity, spiritual maturity. It says he became strong, filled with wisdom. It didn't happen overnight, but it happened. He moved toward maturity. And these childhood years were years of preparation for his life calling, learning the law, learning the word of God, learning the ways of God. Again, he took on our limitations, our humanity. So he went to Hebrew school. He, he was taught in the Hebrew scriptures. He learned these things, learning obedience. Each step of growth was preparing him to fulfill his father's eternal mission for his life. Balanced growth, gradual growth, fruitful or purposeful growth, moving toward an outcome of maturity. And there's a patience during the childhood years. I think the fact that the scripture tells us hardly anything about these childhood years is significant. It says that these are slow years. They're, they happen in the process in which they happen, but you can't skip over them. 
And it says that during this time, the favor or the grace of God was on him. That's essential for growth. You can't grow in the way God intended us to grow, in the ways God intended us to grow, apart from the favor or the grace of God. You see in Jesus as a man, a dependence upon the grace of God. In spite of his circumstances, some of them adverse as they were, in spite of the dysfunctions, some around him and some in the world in which he lived, in spite of the challenges that he faced in that era, the favor and the grace of God was on him. He was God's son. God's favor was on him. And God was growing him up even in the midst of this corrupt town of Nazareth, born to sinful human parents, born in a sinful, decadent world and era. Some of you trying to raise children in this kind of world, doesn't it discourage you sometimes? You think, how are these kids ever going to get it because the pull of the world is so strong? Remember that Jesus grew up in that kind of world and the favor or the grace of God was upon him. The favor, the grace of God can be upon your children and upon you as you seek to grow in this fallen, broken world. His childhood was consistent with both his humanity and his deity. He went through the ordinary stages of childhood. He had to learn, to grow, to develop. He was human. He had our limitations. He had our weaknesses. But he was also God. And he never, ever sinned. So Jesus' childhood demonstrates some things that ought to be true about our lives. The objective of balanced, gradual, purposeful growth. The goal to become strong and wise. What a goal for our lives as Jesus became strong and wise to be spiritually mature and mature in every way. The dependence on the grace of God. Regardless of what you read in the infancy gospels of Thomas, Jesus did not use his supernatural powers to make birds and to destroy people who didn't agree with him. He laid that aside and he grew as we have to grow in dependence on the grace of God. And for those of you who are Christian parents seeking to raise children for the glory of God, Don't underestimate the importance, the necessity, and the value of those childhood years. Don't be trying to get your child to be 12 when he's three. There's a process. There's growth. It takes time. It takes patience. Enjoy the season. Enjoy the moment. Some of you have grandchildren. Remember that. Remember that. And ask God to give you a vision, a sense of purpose for their childhood. That will help you to be intentional as you're parenting, and to realize that the patterns established in their childhood, the seeds sown in their childhood, will bear fruit in their adulthood. What your children are doing at the age of two and three and six and eight and ten, it matters that they are growing, that you're being intentional on helping to steer and shape their growth in dependence on the grace of God, because they're being shaped into the person, the man or the woman they're going to be in adulthood. And as you pray for your children, don't just pray for their safety and their protection. You want that. But also pray and believe God for growth in every area of their lives, from infancy to childhood and into manhood, for the glory of God. Thank you, Lord, that you came into this world and you came as a baby and you grew up as a child and you grew up into manhood to show us how we are to grow, 
And I pray that you would do a work of grace, that your favor and grace might be upon us as we seek to grow and upon the children represented in our homes and families and those that we love. Oh, Lord, may we see children today growing up to be wise and strong as Jesus was. And may we grow to be wise and strong as well. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That's Nancy Damas Walgamuth providing insight on the childhood of Christ and perspective for parents and grandparents. That message is part of the series Incomparable. If you missed any of these messages so far, you can hear them at reviveourhearts.com or through the Revive Our Hearts app. How did you start listening to Revive Our Hearts? Nancy's back to talk about the ways some women discovered the program. We hear from so many women who tell us how they happen to stumble upon the program while listening to the radio. Then they tell us about the changes that follow in their lives. That's exactly what happened to a woman named Tina. She began her email to us, I can't tell you how much Revive Our Hearts has changed my life. Now, we're always quick to say that it's God who changed Tina's life, but he chose to use Revive Our Hearts in the process. Tina started listening to Revive Our Hearts on the radio several years ago. She says, I was a new believer, and I was just starting to grow. I was dealing with fear, anxiety, depression, and panic attacks. She goes on to explain how God used this ministry to connect her with the Scripture. All these struggles she'd been dealing with were addressed as she got into God's Word. The Revive Our Hearts broadcast is continuing to encourage Tina as she and her husband have now stepped out in faith to become foster parents and are taking on a whole new set of challenges. When you donate to Revive Our Hearts, you're helping us connect with women like Tina. When you support this ministry with your gift, you're helping us stay on the air in your community and helping us connect with more women like Tina who happen to tune in to Revive Our Hearts perhaps while dealing with serious issues in their lives. That's right. And right now, when you support Revive Our Hearts with a donation of any amount, we'll say thanks by sending you Nancy's new book, Incomparable. It'll help you appreciate the life and work of Jesus in a whole new way. If you get the book from us here at Revive Our Hearts, we'll also include the reading plan that goes with Incomparable. The reading plan helps you go through Nancy's book during the 2024 Easter season. You can make a donation by calling 1-800-569-5959. You can also donate online at reviveourhearts.com. Again, that number is 1-800-569-5959. If you're a leader in women's ministry at your church, have you connected with your nearest Revive Our Hearts ambassador recently? She's loaded with great ideas and wonderful information to share with you. Check it out at reviveourhearts.com slash ambassadors. Now, how do you impart wisdom to a teenager? Nancy DeMoss Walgmuth will show you how looking at the life of Jesus. That's tomorrow on Revive Our Hearts. This program is a listener-supported production of Revive Our Hearts in Niles, Michigan, calling women to freedom, fullness, and fruitfulness in Christ.